Hi, my name is Julia, and you're listening to Inclusivity, where we discuss all things media and tech in education. And my name's Sarah. We're here to tell you today about public pedagogy and explain how it can be used in the classroom to increase access to knowledge and information. Specifically, we'll be focusing on different platforms of public pedagogy that exist and how they contribute to the overall context and effective use of technology in education engaging all types of learners. To begin, public pedagogy is any information or knowledge that exists on a public platform and that can be accessed by anyone that wants to be educated on or to learn more about. The goal is to increase access to knowledge across all learners, age groups, and individuals. Some examples of public pedagogy are widely known, such as YouTube, and some less known, such as Canopy. Canopy is a free video streaming platform that houses thousands of educational documentaries, films, and thoughtful entertainment. The cool thing about Canopy is that any public library or university can get access for all its students and learners through a small yearly fee and is essentially publicly funded. There's also Canopy Kids, which enables kids to explore enriching educational and entertaining films themselves. This is really the epitome of public pedagogy because virtually any person who wants to learn something can have access to so many different areas of knowledge on this one platform. First thing, though, that's important to think about is how to be critical in the use of public pedagogy. There's so much content and media out there that we can easily get lost in it. If we don't think about effectively integrating specific public pedagogy into our classroom, we risk losing effectiveness and relevance. Critical media literacy is important here, and one way to be critical is to measure the resources we bring into our classroom through the SAMR model. Along the SAMR scale, depending on the type of public pedagogy, the specific platform being used, or even the way we, that teachers incorporate it into their lesson, it can serve as either substitution, augmentation, modification, or reinvention. And therefore, this tool is so flexible and can be so powerful if used properly. Right. So, for example, if learning about war, showing students a war movie that has no historical facts or information is irrelevant and does not contribute to or enhance their learning. But giving them access to a number of documentaries that they can watch on a specific event or a specific war that you are learning about might give them a creative and differentiated way to engage with that content. Exactly. So with any use of public pedagogy in the classroom, our goal should be to not just substitute the learning of our students with different technologies, but to redefine it in a constructive and progressive way. Another great thing that many public pedagogies are helpful in instructing multiple intelligences. For example, Refugee Boulevard, Making Montreal Home After the Holocaust, is a free guided walking tour of the neighborhood where many survivors settled after the war. This type of pedagogy engages various types of intelligences, such as spatial and bodily kinesthetic, as it requires the audience to walk around Montreal and visualize the world in 3D. A map of the tour is also provided, which is another part of spatial intelligence. An aspect of interpersonal intelligence is also touched upon, as the tour involves the various personal testimonies on what it was like as stated on their website, to arrive to a new country alone or with surviving family members, build relationships, deal with adversity and discrimination, search for joy, and simply move on. Other examples of public pedagogy being applied to multiple intelligences are yoga or dance tutorials that engage bodily kinesthetic learners 
or soundtrack which engages musical learners. Yeah, exactly. And when thinking about establishing equity in the classroom, it is important that the public pedagogy you give students access to is accessible to the entire class. It is more beneficial this way because we are looking to create a shared experience amongst peers and giving students access to some public pedagogy platforms that not all classmates can benefit from is neither fair nor effective. This, however, will change depending on who your students are, which is why public pedagogy is such a powerful resource that can serve a different function for each student and classroom. Typically, for example, Chromebooks or iPads in the classroom will give students access to YouTube or Canopy, both of which house a tremendous amount of public information and are very accessible. There are also accessibility settings on computers and tablets that can be altered to engage students who are visually or hearing impaired. So, depending on the platform, some could be more accessible to others. Absolutely, and actually many forms of public pedagogy also support students who are visually or hearing impaired. I cannot comment on all walking tours in general, but for the one offered by Refugee Boulevard, a complete transcript is provided as well as a virtual tour with street view images for those who aren't in Montreal, for example, or cannot physically walk the tour. Sights, sounds, spatial, historical, and geographical information are all provided to support the diversity in all students. Yes, exactly. Also, all YouTube videos have closed captions and Canopy as well. And Canopy actually also has extensive transcripts that are even timestamped. This also helps us to be critical in what to use and what to give our Also, if I relate back to the point we made earlier about critical media literacy, the walking tour that I mentioned earlier was funded by Dawson College, St. Paul University, the Montreal Holocaust Museum, and the Social Science and Humanities Research Council of Canada. If someone was looking at the source for the first time, they would easily be able to tell that it was funded by reliable and trustworthy sources. In general, it's important to think about who the stakeholders are in the videos we are watching and how the platform uh, themselves are funded. This will have a great impact on the reliability of the source. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great point. And more than people living with hearing or vision impairment, forms of public pedagogy also support embodied learning for students and individuals who are living with physical disabilities. On YouTube, for example, there are so many tutorials for the individuals themselves or for physical or occupational therapists to help increase movement in a safe way for students living with physical disabilities. There are chair cardio workouts, weight loss instructional videos for people with less mobility, and all kinds of adapted content, which encapsulates embodied learning. There's also so much educational content freely available. For example, tutorial series focusing on a different aspect of daily living for someone living with Duchenne muscular dystrophy. This is a great resource for a physical therapist, for the individual themselves, or for their parents or loved ones to use in order to increase independence in navigating their environment. That's amazing. So in all, we see that the access to public pedagogy is so beneficial to any learner and to society. So as you're thinking about what you've learned with us today, don't forget to put your students at the center of their learning process by being critical with the platforms and content you introduce them to, and within that, give them many options to explore and guide their own learning based on their needs. My name's Julia. And my name's Sarah, and this has been another episode of Inclusivity.